This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show to provide you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you this Saturday morning as we start moving into fall a little bit more, and we're starting to feel fall-like weather. Uh, This was an interesting week. I had to spend some time with the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians. And my guests in the second half of the program are going to be a couple of taped interviews I did with the American Academy of Family Physicians president, uh, Dr. Gary Leroy, and the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians president, Dr. Kathleen Muller. And it's interesting because you'll get a feel in the second half of our program today of how family medicine has changed. A lot of people remember the old general practitioner, GP and how that situation has changed. Now, many of the people who practice family medicine essentially take care of people from cradle to grave. They deliver babies, assist in surgery in many surroundings. But the specialty of family medicine has clearly evolved, and there are more people now hopefully going into it and really getting a feel for their patients and finding ways of making a practice work. It's not easy. It's very difficult these days to remain in a primary care practice. One of the obstacles is now that the new Medicare regulations are coming down, their new fee schedule starting January 1st. And this fee schedule allows, they decided to simplify things, one rate for everything. So a new patient will be you, a physician will be paid for a new patient $134. Now, in family medicine, neurology, internal medicine, that's a long visit. You have to go through a lot of information. And it often, if it's a geriatric visit, should take about an hour. There's no way you can make a living doing that after you've paid all your expenses. Whereas if you were in a specialty that required a shorter visit, a shorter new patient visit, you could do pretty well. Follow-up visits. So if you go to follow-up after you've done an initial visit, it pays $92. Again, big problem. So your choices are to either cut the time you spend with your patient and obviously have impact to the quality of care or just not see Medicare patients. And I think you're going to see more and more physicians refusing to see Medicare patients, and that's not what the system was designed for. So we need to do something about that. We talk about that a little bit uh, with uh, Dr. Leroy and Dr. Muller, and also in uh, later on in this half hour, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Saeed Hussein. Dr. Hussein is the chief medical officer for Trinity, New England. A few of the things that came up, and at the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians, I was invited to speak about concussion and what we know about concussion. But a lot of the interest has been in the pediatric area. This month, new pediatric guidelines came out for traumatic brain injury, all types of traumatic brain injury in the pediatric population. 
And several points came across. Uh, Not everyone needs to be imaged, meaning CT or MRI, but that we have to use different criteria for evaluating people, children with traumatic brain injury. We can't use the same way of looking at traumatic brain injury in an adult with a child in terms of getting information. Many times children cannot relate the information that we need. So that becomes very important. So there are a lot of things going on in the area of pediatric traumatic brain injury. We know that in children, the brain is still developing, and these are our most vulnerable brains when it comes to looking at this. It also means that we need to be more cautious. So the the perennial question is, should I let my child play a high-velocity collision sport? And I tend to send, I tend to fall on the side of no, not until high school. We're starting to see that. You know, the numbers in football are dropping, especially at the prep school level. So these are children who um, have a lot more opportunity available in terms of going forward with their education, don't have to sit there waiting for a scholarship. So they're pl- not fewer of them are playing high velocity collision sports. So it's interesting to see that decline. And we will continue to follow that. Uh, the flu shot is out. All I could say is get the flu shot, really. Uh, where The estimates are 50 to 60% effective, much better than last year. That was 10%. But when you look at the numbers, it's striking. I mean, 80,000 people died of the flu last year, died of flu-related problems. That could mean pneumonia or any number of side effects from the flu, 80,000 people. Of those 80,000, 180 were children, and 80% of those children never got the flu shot. I just find, I mean, how do those, how do those parents feel right now? They have to feel absolutely awful that they may have been able to give their child some level of protection. So again, I encourage you, get the flu shot, Get it now. It takes two weeks to take effect. And you know we start getting into flu season in November. I'm going to be traveling quite a bit. So I know that when I get on planes and a lot of planes, I'm a little more vulnerable to the flu. You're in this closed compartment with the recycled air. Matter of fact, what I do is I bring these little wipes that you can get in any drugstore. You get a little packet of them. I wipe down that seat. The seat belt. The tray table, the armrests, I wipe it down with either those Purell or chlorine wipes. Now, you might say, wow, that looks a little silly. First time I did it, I felt a little odd doing it. But now I find that my seatmates often say, do you have another one of those? Because we all realize that they're not clearly cleaning those seats anymore. Matter of fact, sometimes you get on the plane, there's still garbage in the pocket in front when you try to put your stuff in. So... I have to tell you, I I alert you, just be real careful. Get the flu shot. The best way to fight the flu is wash your hands. Make sure you're washing your hands. The other thing we're watching very carefully is acute flaccid myelitis. This is the polio-like illness that is affecting children. Most of the cases, now there are 62 confirmed cases, 127 cases that are still being investigated, and that number keeps climbing. The average age of a child getting this is four years old. 
And in many cases, it's permanent injury. We're not sure of why. Is this a virus? Is it an exposure of some type? We're just not sure. We are sure of the damage. The damage is to the anterior horn cell, the gray matter of the spinal cord, similar to what we saw in polio in children, similar to what we see in Lou Gehrig's disease. So again, this is a bad problem that we need to watch. And don't get caught up in the rhetoric, okay, because I've heard people on the radio who are on there saying, I know this comes from illegal aliens, okay? The, the boogeyman brought this in. We don't know that. We don't know why people get this. Is it environmental or not? Is it infectious? So with that, we're going to keep an eye on that from week to week as we move through. We're going to take a short break right now, and then we're going to be back with Dr. Syed Hussein, who is the chief medical officer and senior vice president of St. Francis, uh, actually, I should say, Trinity Health New England, of which St. Francis Hospital, our, uh, our sponsor here, is a, a very proud member. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And in this segment, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Saeed Hussein. Dr. Hussein is the Senior Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Trinity Health New England. Dr. Hussein, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Alessi. So let's chat a little bit. We're talking about the 61-day challenge. And uh, can you tell our just our listeners what made you do it? What makes it up? And just give some people some background, because I think this is a phenomenal program that I really want to talk about. Absolutely. Excited to talk about it. So as you know, Trinity Health of New England is committed to supporting better health in our communities through outreach, education, support, partnerships. And this is the challenges, uh, one exciting way uh, to fulfill this commitment. So the re- why 61 days? A lot of people ask that. And research shows majority of people tend to gain a few extra pounds during the last two months of the year, especially during this holiday season. As you may imagine, all these holiday parties and events. And with this initiative, what we seek to do is increase awareness of this and teach our communities to make smarter choices, both dietary choices that are smarter along with um, taking care of your health. So how did you choose these three things? I mean, you chose the challenge of no soda, no sweets, no cigarettes. Absolutely. So these are things, again, we've, there's research that has been shown that um, all these things contribute to ex- excess not only weight, but also um, not choosing wisely during this time leads to, you know, hypertension and diabetes and and just poor health in general. So why not start off by taking a pledge to eliminate soda, eliminate sweets and cigarettes and help Trinity Health of New England will will help you will help coach you through this process during the next two months. So when you chose these they're kind of interesting because I've so I find it's very interesting. I've been in one of these things myself lately, and I don't drink soda and I don't smoke, but I've found that just cutting back on sweets, even sugar in your coffee, uh, makes a huge difference. 
you know, people may just cut one of these things out and see tremendous help. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm so encouraged by this whole thing. Uh, do you think, have you done this before in other locations? Is this the first time you're doing this? Um, it has been done um, in other parts of the country and it's been shown to be very successful. And I agree with you. Like, for example, the, you know, for the for the listeners out there, one teaspoon of table sugar is four grams of sugar, i.e. 16 calories. So there's small things that we can do. You know, how do you know if your food is high in sugar, for example? Um, check, you know, if, if the ingredients say sugar, high fructose, corn sugar, dextrose, sucrose. And if you see any any letter that ends with O-S-E, basically skip it. Um, trade your dessert for fruit, avoid skipping a meal, things like that. So it's, you know, there's so much granularity that we can do in our daily lives to, to, for better health. You know, you're, a, you're an internist, so you have a better feel for this than many people in terms of what we're targeting here. What, what are your targets in terms of these? Are we going after hypertension? Are we going after cardiac disease? Are we just trying to reduce obesity? And from an age standpoint, who's your target audience here? Okay, great question. So what the challenge is not, it's not a weight loss challenge. It's not about denying anything. It's not about not making ourselves miserable during the holiday period. What rather it is is to create greater awareness about the choices that we can make. It's about managing stress. It's about daily exercise. You know, we're all addicted to smartphones and all these gadgets. How can we make time, carve out time during the course of our day just an hour to to be healthy, right? To exercise. And it's about combining all of these elements to create and maintain a healthier lifestyle. The The target audience is everybody, basically. So you're including children and adolescents in this? Yes. Okay. Now, all right, so somebody takes the pledge, signs up. How do you keep them going? You know, we all have support groups for this, right? I mean, people have made a lot of money on the support groups, right? Weight Watchers, they have meetings. Uh, every body who advertises on the radio now has these meetings and so how how do you plan on getting to that are you going to have meetings um, how are you going to use electronics to do that to keep everybody on target because you need a cheerleader in this and uh and and really you need a whole family to do it it can't be just one member of the family absolutely it takes a village so we're offering educational sessions, we're offering daily email reminders, we're offering resources, which are all available on our website, www.NewEngland61DayChallenge.com. And the classes and programs are being offered to those who take the pledge to help them stay on track. So what happens after January 1st? I guess, so even if someone has a lot of success... What's your hope for the outcome? I mean, obviously, that people will continue to do this, but what's the next move here? Absolutely. So it's basically folks will start seeing, realizing the differences these um, choices and options can make in their daily uh, lives, and, and we'll stick to it. As we make our New Year you know, pledges and, and resolutions, one of them would be, okay, let's stay on this track of a healthier lifestyle. Let's keep this, this exercise, these, you know, avoid these unhealthy habits uh, from, our, from our daily diet. So you're doing this throughout 
Trinity Health of New England. So it's Absolutely. all your different hospitals are doing it. Is, is it one effort? Are you? Is there a competition between geographic areas? So that's a great question. So we do have weekly draws. We have competitions. We have a grand prize. Um, and our kickoff is October 31st. It's across the region, so it includes... Hartford area, it includes Waterbury, Stafford Springs, and Springfield, Massachusetts. So I have to ask you a personal question in, in the sense, I, I mean, you sound like a young guy. You were you got an award for the 40, the best 40 under 40. You came from Detroit, where you did That's your right. training, um, where we know it's a tough area. I, I worked at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, so you're here. What is your job like in, in terms of being chief medical officer for a regional place like trinity health new england so it's besides managing the docs it's the focus on patient safety quality improvement um it's medical governance it's regulatory ensuring that our hospitals function and function at a high level meet all the regulatory requirements from joint commission from cms from the state ensure that we take the best care possible of our community that we serve do you still get to see patients that's a great question. I don't want to give up my clinical skills, so I work two weekends a month. Take some advice from an old guy. Always do that, okay? Absolutely. Always keep your clinical acumen and keep seeing patients. Too many people go into administration and abandon that and really lose sight of what we're really doing. I hope to get to meet you soon. This is a, a great idea. We're going to follow this on the program uh, once you get started over these 61 days. I'd love to get updates from you or somebody from uh, your staff about how we're doing. And to be honest with you, I'm going to sign up. I think this is going to be fun to do. So uh, I just I thank you very much for coming to our area and bringing something like this. Thank you for having me, Dr. Lett. Great having you. That was Dr. Saeed Hussein, who is the Chief Medical Officer for Trinity Health of New England, uh, introducing a great program, uh, 61 days. This is no charge, no cost, and a chance to get you back in better health, just cutting out no soda, no sweets, no cigarettes. I think they should have added no liquor in there either, okay, because I think alcohol is causing a lot of problems these days. Uh, I haven't seen anybody. So many people are in trouble. We, we look at these videos online, right, or on the news, okay? There's always somebody in some drunken state, okay, doing something totally goofy, uh, either with a car, a gun, or in a bar. But with that, no soda, no sweets, no cigarettes. You sign up at the Trinity Health website uh, and Trinity Health New England, and I'm going to sign up, and we'll follow this along for 61 days and hopefully beyond. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guests from the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Gary Leroy and Dr. Kathleen Muller. We're going to talk about the role of family physicians in the future, in, in the practice of family medicine, and how it affects all of us. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're back on Healthy Rounds. Uh, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with uh, Dr. Gary Leroy. Dr. Leroy is the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, and uh, Dr. Catherine Muller. Dr. Muller is the past president of the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians. Welcome to the program. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having me.
Institutions, and Dr. Catherine Muller. Dr. Muller is the past president of the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians. Welcome to the program. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Uh, Gary, going to start with you first. Um, can you talk a little bit about what a family physician does in terms of education, training, and, and a little bit about the scope of practice? Sure. Uh, you know, when I talk to folks about what the specialty of family medicine is all about, and me family medicine is a specialty. So we want to make sure people understand that. It's like having your personal physician. We take care of everyone from, from cradle to grave. So the children, we can deliver babies. We take care of the children, uh, pediatrics, women's issues, behavioral health issues, as well as geriatrics. So it's more of a comprehensive specialty of medicine. Uh, we have uh, the training of uh, four years of medical school, and also that's followed by a three-year residency in, in family medicine. Sometimes uh, they can also take a, a, a fellowship in uh, some of the uh, other areas, like sports medicine. I was going to ask you about yeah. that, because we see so many people coming from family medicine into sports medicine. Absolutely. So, Are there other fellowships available that people yeah. do? Well, again, some of them will want to do uh, maternity care, so delivering babies and such, because we cover the nation, and we have uh, over 193 million office visits a year that are provided by the members of our uh, academy, the American Academy of Family Physicians. And so you go to areas that are wilderness areas, rural areas that have a, a shortage of, of uh, uh, doctors to deliver babies. And so sometimes we'll have uh, individuals, residents that will take a fellowship in that. Uh, or behavioral health, uh, because uh, again, some of these areas they do not have enough uh, behavioralists, uh, psychiatrists, and psychologists, and so you're the only person that can provide that. And about 80% of folks that present to their uh, with concerns of uh, depression, anxiety, and things, they present to the primary care specialist. And that's us, the family doctor. Do you see a kind of an evolution? I see more and more uh, folks going into different things, and, and I think you brought up some of those. For example, global medicine or more rural medicine. Uh, are you seeing more of that in family medicine? We're seeing a whole lot of that. I think that's one of the many reasons that our students are attracted to the specialty of family medicine, because uh, they see themselves as uh, these uh, stem cells of medicine. They say, okay, I really want to focus in this particular area, and I can do that through family medicine. Uh, I have one friend that uh, was really into acupuncture in, in Ohio, and he became very well known in, in his area for doing acupuncture as a family physician. So really, almost any area uh, is open to, uh, uh, to family medicine. Some of these small, uh, small town docs, they will be uh, first assistant surgeries and such. So, again, it's uh, very broad. So it's been quite a, an evolution from, I guess it's a dirty word, the general practitioner. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be, but that those same levels of practice with less experience mm -hmm. were being practiced many years ago, 50 or 60 sure. years ago. Uh, are we seeing more young people going into family medicine? We always hear about programs where, well, if you go into family medicine or any type of primary care there are incentives to doing that. It, are those incentives needed, and why? 
More, more of our students, we, we did have a, a period there where uh, medical students uh, were choosing not to go into the primary care specialties because of uh, a variety of reasons. And such. A lot of them were misconceptions about the, the pay, the lifestyle, the workloads, and so, so on and so forth. But with increasing numbers of uh, medical schools and the number of uh, students that are enrolled in medical schools, they're actually finding that more of them are looking at primary care and saying, I would like to do that. Uh, and there are more opportunities there. And so we're now seeing an uptick in the number of students that are graduating and going into family medicine. I, I believe that the, uh, the last match, that's where they uh, matched the graduates to uh, residency programs uh, for family medicine. We were about 98% uh, filled through that match wow. in family medicine. So it's not one of the default uh, residencies to, uh, to go to if you can't get an, another residency. They're choosing to go into family medicine, not going into me family medicine because they have no other choice. Well, following those lines, Kathleen, here in Connecticut, we have uh, seen Quinnipiac University, mm -hmm. and there's a big focus there on uh, family medicine and primary care in general. Um, is that work? Are we seeing more people stay in Connecticut um, who have done that or follow those programs? I think that uh, those data still remain to be seen. We did have the same sort of dip as the, the National uh, American Academy had, as a dip of people going into family medicine. But just as Gary said, we have had an uptick in the last year or two with uh, uh, Connecticut-grown medical students staying in Connecticut doing primary care and family medicine in residency programs here in our state. One of the things Gary mentioned was lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Has the, li the, the lifestyle in family medicine is previously pretty miserable. You're on call a lot and things such as that. That has evolved to some degree, I think. Um, are we finding better lifestyle choices or the practice of family medicine uh, being more conducive to spending time with your family or whatever lifestyle you choose? I think that medicine in general has taken an evolutionary shift. I think that um, personally I've never found the practice of family medicine, even call miserable most of the time, but I think there's been a shift in this new generation in saying that we need some sort of balance between working, what our parents were doing, working 14, 15 hours a day in medicine, to how do we figure out where that balance is. And so I think because family medicine is such a flexible specialty that you can do pretty much anything you want to do. You want to work in a medical library, you want to practice and see patients 14 hours a day, you can do all of those and sometimes a combination of those. So I think it's been medicine in general that we've seen a balance, a, more, a better balance between home and work life, which makes all of medicine, I think, a more attractive. I have to agree with you. I guess I'm dating myself, but I remember the days where we didn't have hospitalists. Yes. And we barely, we didn't have yes. emergency department trained physicians. Correct. We just had whoever felt like doing it show up it in the emergency us. department. Yeah, it so it was us, it and was we us. were running in right. all hours of the night. Yeah. Um, so I know from younger physicians, they look at us like we had two heads yes. uh, doing that. So I could see where it, it's changed a great deal. It has. Uh, a question, I guess, for both of you is we've seen the influx of uh, nurse practitioners. Um, and now there are even programs where there are APRNs and now uh, doctors of nursing practice. There's this strive for people to be called doctor. 
um, it appears. Uh, we also see it in uh, PAs, physician assistants. Has that changed? How has that changed family medicine? What has been the impact of that? I'm not, not really sure that it's changed our specialty, but it's the perception of medicine in general by the, the, the lay public because there's confusion there. It, they see someone with a stethoscope around their neck and a white coat, oh, well, that's the doctor or that's the nurse. Uh, but with the uh, influx of increasing numbers of uh, nurses of, of advanced practice and physician assistants, and in a, a few states there's actually a uh, assistant physician, which adds to the uh, confusion again. Okay, uh, uh, Minnesota is one state that has that. Uh, so that's someone that's gone to medical school, but they haven't been able to find a residency, and so they work under the license of a licensed physician for a year or so. Until I've they, never heard of that. Yes, that's so they've gone to medical school, right? But didn't do a residency, mm -hmm. right? And go to work as what did you say, physician, physician, uh, assistant physician, physician. Uh, Assistant physician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always get those backwards. So they are MDs. Have so the they, have a, they have a degree. But see, here's one of the things that's uh, because of the increasing number of medical schools as well as the uh, increased class sizes, uh, it doesn't uh, connect with the uh, number of available residency slots, which okay. really have not increased appreciably since about 1990s. 95 or so. So we have more and more students that are graduating from U.S. medical schools that can't find a residency program. So this this uh, uh, assistant physician uh, thing, legislation, uh, was created to give them something to do for a year or so. So it wasn't by move. choice. They're kind of in a holding pattern. They're kind of in a holding move. pattern. Some, wow. some of them choose to do research for a year, sure. reapply. Others choose to do other things before they reapply for a residency program. But this is something to, uh, that, and again, Minnesota is the one that I, I'll just mention, but there are a few others out there where they have shortages, in, especially in the rural areas and inner city areas, and so they felt that this was one way of adding some uh, workforce to those particular areas. But back to your question about the, the advanced practice nurses and the physician assistants. Uh, again, they're helping to fill a, a void in, in our uh, country with an increasing number of elderly uh, in, our, in our population and increasing needs of medical care. And so uh, they're working uh, under the uh, supervision or in collaboration in, in many states with a uh, physician. And in some areas, uh, they are actually getting or leg there's legislation to have independent practice adding to some of the confusion that happens there. So, so again, we are trying to make sure that our patients, truth in advertising, mm -hmm. they know that, that this is the doctor, okay? <laughs> and and this, this is not the doctor, this is advanced practice nurse, or this is the physician assistant. Uh, at our children's hospital, our main hospital in, in Dayton, on our identification badge, it has a big word, doctor. I know. I've yeah. noticed that we have yeah. that here as well lately. Yeah, so so uh, I never cease to learn something. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back on Healthy Rounds. Um, we're chatting with Dr. Gary Leroy and uh, Dr. Kathleen Muller, and we're chatting about family medicine. We'll be back shortly.
We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and a meeting today. I, today, I'm at the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians and uh, meeting with uh, Dr. Gary Leroy, who is president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, who's been kind enough to come here and join us. And I'm with uh, Dr. Kathleen Muller. Dr. Muller is the past president of the Connecticut Academy of Family Physicians. Kathleen, just at the break, we were talking a little bit about the influx of uh, advanced practice registered nurses and the difference is that uh, the consumer doesn't necessarily understand um, the difference between the physician and the nurse. Um, can you add to that a little bit and, and try to clarify things a little bit? So Gary talked about the truth in advertising, and what value do you put on the additional tens of thousands of hours that physicians have when we're comparing to our physician assistants and advanced practice nurse colleagues? I think that is the, the, the crux of the issue that patients don't quite understand. Medicine is an art form. It is an absolute art form, but it has to be based on a very solid foundation of education. And the comparison, I think, there's no comparison to the, to the tens of thousands of hours that we get, particularly in our residencies. It's just different. Practices are changing nationally. Uh, we're hearing things about direct primary care. Mm -hmm. um, other people have uh, concierge practices. Mm -hmm. um, we see people with micro practices, right. something I, I've been always interested in, where mm -hmm. um, they're in private practice but don't have an office. Yes. Instead, kind of rent themselves out, do locums work, um, do some hospital work, nursing homework, things that interest them. Um, do you see, what's the difference between direct primary care and concierge medicine. Can you explain that? Sure. So concierge, I think, was the first um, evolution of trying to figure out how do we get away from the restrictions of paperwork, of insurance issues. And so concierge medicine decided, okay, we're going to take fewer patients, we're going to charge a membership fee, and we're going to bill insurance. And so instead of having a panel of, let's say, 2,500 patients, a, a person in concierge medicine would have a panel of maybe 600 patients. And so to be able to spend more time with people, to get to know them a little bit better, which is beneficial for everybody, for physicians and for, for patients. Direct primary care and more the micro practice, again, in response to the same issues, but many of those practices don't process insurance. So instead, they have just a membership fee, and you still have insurance for things like lab testing or um, specialist visit, uh, other specialty visits, but in, with your primary care needs, with your family medicine needs, you see your family physician when you need to, as long as you need to, and they can be also have smaller panel sizes so they can spend more time. And again, usually less expensive than paying for um, extended insurance um, and beneficial for everybody, especially because of the time, which I think is what's driving people into these alternate forms of medicine. Seven and a half minutes in a family medicine office with your physician is not enough time for anybody, both physician and patient. It's interesting because the patients I see in my neurology practice who are involved in these direct primary care situations are very happy. Yes. Because uh, people have to understand they're not charging inordinate amounts of money. No. Uh, I mean, they're charging much less than a golf membership at a public course. Much less. Um, so, uh, you know, we were talking about $900, uh, $1,000, maybe $1,200 a year. Exactly. Um, and uh, you're guaranteed a lengthy period of time. It's an hour visit. Yes. Which we all know, uh, especially when dealing in geriatrics, is necessary. Necessary. And certainly the same with neurology. 
Um, what do you see as the future, Gary? I mean, nationally in terms of family medicine, mm-hmm. how how are things moving? In what direction are we moving? Well, really, the future is is upon us. It's is already here. Uh, a lot of times, you'll hear about uh, the patient centered medical home. Going back to your question about uh, advanced practice nurses and and, uh, physician assistants and such, it's us working as a team for the patient, uh, not just when the patient is there, but before they arrive and what we do for that patient as far as services, medical services, after they, they leave, getting in contact with them, having patient portals and such. Uh, but still, getting away from the kind of traditional, you, you make an appointment, go to the doctor's office, spend their 15 or seven and a half minutes with them, and then you don't see the doctor for another six months. But con- continuity of care for the patient, con- coordinated care for the patients and such. Uh, the other thing for the f- real future is that we have this thing now called the, the human ge- genome. And so who's going to take care of that? Who will be the keeper of that? Because we may say, well, you are at great risk for diabetes, hypertension, multiple sclerosis, and we have genetic evidence of that. So it's not just your opinion. And you can do some preventative maintenance before all of this happens to kind of hold off these things. And then using artificial intelligence and machine learning to help uh, you know, integrate the care and, and make it more uh, user-friendly, not only for the patient, but for the physicians that are providing that service. So, and so family medicine, <coughs> as your personal physician, can, you know, hold all of those keys and, and make make everything more personal for for the uh, patient and the family. That's great information. Kathleen, I guess more apropos to Connecticut, we're seeing a lot of physicians retire early. Um, we're already in a shortage of mm-hmm. family medicine and family physicians. Um, how are we going to change that here? What, what's the future look for us in, look like for us in Connecticut? Well, I, I think... It- Over the last two years or so, I think administrations are taking burnout, early retirement, um, changing of, uh, of specialty and field by physicians extremely seriously. It is uh, both a financial issue, it's a healthcare issue, it's a future of Connecticut issue. So fortunately, we are introducing a lot of, uh, a lot of programs are being introduced to address the burnout issue. Most of it needs to be addressed, in my opinion, to the the system. About 40% of burnout is due to um, inflexibility of the system, increased paperwork, increased regulations with less time. The other part is, is with resilience. We need to build resilience in times of change. These changes in the system are not going to come over the short term. They're going to come over the longer term. So we have to be resilient in the short term. And then finally, I think the amazing creativity of physicians in each of their fields to figure out what does the practice model look like. And family medicine has some of those very smart, very dedicated people who I think will help save medicine in Connecticut. Well, thank you both for your time. Uh, This has been great, and it's been great getting some new insights into family medicine. Thank you again for taking time today. Thank you. Mike Olko has been on the board. I want to thank Mike and uh, as well as Jeff Chandler, who is our Director of Sales and Marketing for Healthy Rounds. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.